Life Church, Utah. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning for service. Today we are going to begin a new series in the parables, so stay tuned we have, as we have an amazing message in store and worship together. Just a few things. As a reminder, if you haven't joined a life group, get connected. Life groups have started meeting in person. Some are still online. If you need help finding a life group, go ahead, call the church office, or you can find them online at lifechurchutah.com slash lifegroups. There are many groups available, and what better way to get connected in relationship with God's people than through life groups. Another thing is farmer's market. You've heard us talk a lot about the farmer's market, and we are happy to report that it is doing well. Each week we serve anywhere between 70 and 90 families. It's a lot, it's grown. And so because of that, we actually need your help. And so we have a pantry that we use and we need more items. So if you are able to, we would love for you to bring canned non-perishable items to the church office during the week, Monday through Thursday from 8.30 to 4, or Fridays from 8.30 to noon. Uh, also, if you want to volunteer, we're always looking for volunteers. It's um, a lot of work and we just have so much fun together as we bless our community with food and show them um, just how much God loves them in such a tangible and practical way. So thank you to those who have helped. Thank you to those who have contributed and have been a part of making the farmer's market success during this time. It truly has been um, a light in our community during this confusing and chaotic time. Um, so thank you and we will continue working in that way um, and it's all because of your help. Speaking of your help, thank you to those who have been faithful in their giving during this time. Your generosity has not gone unnoticed and because of your generosity, we are able to continue the ministries here at Life Church, continue to keep ministering to families and our community, and that's because you are faithful with your giving and you've taken that step of faith saying, God, I trust you with my finances. I trust you in the big and small, and um, God is at work because of that faithfulness. So I'd like to encourage you to give this morning. You can do that online at lifechurchutah.com. Links are shown on the screen or you can mail uh, your contributions in or give them in person to the office. We are open during the week. Well, let's just pray together and invite um, the Holy Spirit and Jesus into our homes this morning and into our families and um, just believe for God to speak directly to each one of us. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that saves. You are a God that is just merciful. And we thank you for the wonderful things that you are doing through Life Church. I pray that you would continue to use this church and this body, God, to just be a light in our community. Lord, we lift you up this morning. We praise you and we ask, God, that you would just challenge us in our walk with you, that we would grow closer and deeper and have a greater understanding of who you are and your love for us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, stay tuned. Join us for worship. If you'd like to stand up and clap, stand up and clap. And let's just give God the praise that he deserves. <laughs> well, good morning, Life Church. 
We've made it through another week. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. We invite you this morning to sing along with us. We're going to worship the Lord. Um, we know that the day is coming when we're going to go green. Woo! It's going to be good. But until then, um, we just, uh, the worship team and all of us here at Life Church that are here on Sundays, we miss you so much. And we can't wait to worship in the same room together to feel the presence of God moving, but we can feel that same presence right where we're at in our homes. So I invite you this morning to uh, sip on your coffee, sing with us. We're going to worship the Lord. Come on, let's go.
None that compares to you, Jesus. Surrender all we are. Sing now, sing as one. And come and join the angels. And come and join the song.
There was war. The war had started many years before and kind of the roots of it had been forgotten. And yet uh, the fruit of it was felt in nearly every interaction that happened. The border was tense. Uh, There were forays in and out of both countries and trying to figure out what the next steps were. Um, There was an uneasiness that pervaded the uh, interactions between the two groups and it was really a divided nation. Not two nations, but a divided nation. And this story seems to play out in, uh, in history, in human history, time and time and time again. You see, our story as humans is a story of conflict, uh, disagreement, blame. At times it erupts in protest, violence. The powerful rule through systems that can easily be twisted so that the powerless become even more powerless even more marginalized. And this is what happens in our story. The nation was attacked. Formerly they were brothers and sisters and now they're at odds with one another. They they formerly even had some of the same spiritual backgrounds, but now they are violently opposed to one another. The leader in the north attacks the south. The north wins. But there's more to the story. This actually isn't our story, but it's one that's played out in the Bible in 2 Chronicles. The northern kingdom had split from the southern many years prior and they had turned their backs on the foundation of faith in God, their father. And that was kind of the source of a lot of the uh, animosity between the two. And the south accused the the north of acting in such a way as to no longer be serving God. The the north uh, proclaimed that the south was trying to usurp authority and all sorts of problems. So the king in the north, his name is Pekah, um, he attacked the south, he decimated Jerusalem, and in the process, he took captive uh, 200,000 women, boys, and girls. And he looted the countryside, looted Jerusalem, took, took all of these captive and brought them to the north, which wasn't too far away because this was Israel that was divided but took them to the north, and there they are, standing on the precipice of the unknown, uh, the south, now the oppressed. The despair was felt not only by the captives, though, because even in the midst of this, the voice of God began to be very clear. There's this, uh, um, this prophet that challenged the injustice, called the leaders into question and said, this is not right. You shouldn't be doing this. It's wrong. And the great thing is, is that in this story uh, found in 2 Chronicles, and you can turn there with me if you want, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 14 and 15, uh, it says this, so the warriors released the captives. So in other words, the voice of God through the prophet was loud enough to get past the injustice into the hearts of these leaders. So it says the warriors released the captives and brought the loot before the officers and the whole assembly. 
Then the people named for this task took charge of the captives and dressed everyone who was naked with items taken from the loot. They gave them clothing and sandals, food and drink, and bandaged their wounds. Everyone who couldn't walk, they placed on donkeys, and they brought them to Jericho, the city of Palms, near their Judean relatives. Then those who had formerly been the captors, they returned to a place called Samaria. The innocent were returned. Injustice was overturned. And the key to this is actually the place where this happens. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Um, This is actually a story I had forgotten about uh, when I began to study for this weekend's message. And um, it resonates with us this week, I think particularly, uh, because of what has transpired in our own nation. There is a very real sense of injustice. There's a very real sense that there is just something wrong, something, uh, something just evil at work within our nation, and we all feel it. We sense it. In talking to some folks this week, there's a, a, um, a sense of fear associated with this. I wonder if, uh, if the riots will continue and if that violence being perpetrated will continue and the injustice for some feeling like it will just be overlooked and others who feel like it shouldn't be this far and all of that and we are a nation in conflict. Sometimes we feel like that this will remain with us as a nation for some time. So we struggle with this. None of us want to see injustice per, uh, pervade on someone else. None of us want to be those who receive injustice. When we see it, it's disturbing. We know that it's systemic at some levels. And so what should we do? How should we respond in moments like this as a people? Uh, for, the story of those, uh, for the story in Second Chronicles, it's a picture of those that felt justified in acting the way that they did. And yet somehow, when the voice of the Lord began to speak to them, uh, they changed. And in fact, an entire nation has changed in the middle of all of this. The aftermath of the war between the nations was felt for many years. The, the bitterness did not go away with right action. This becomes a picture for us of something much later. Now, remember where, where all of this occurred in Second Chronicles. It all occurred in uh, name places that, that we see. We've got Samaria. Jerusalem, Jericho, those are all names of places, you know, way back in 2 Chronicles. We're going to fast forward quite a number of years. Luke chapter 10. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? What must I do to gain eternal life? It's a great question. In fact, one that we answered a couple of weeks ago, if, you, if you'd like an answer to that, uh, you know, talking about heaven and hell and the consequences of this life, uh, you can check that out a couple of weeks ago. Um, so what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, the legal expert responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. Super interesting. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Who is my neighbor? So Jesus had gathered together his disciples and they were celebrating uh, the fact that uh, these 72 disciples of his that had been sent out to the countryside, they came back telling stories of healings, telling stories that even the demons bow at the name of Jesus, even when Jesus isn't around. So they are stunned and amazed and the disciples are filled with joy. And it says that Jesus himself is filled with joy. So they're telling these stories and probably laughing about some of the circumstances and how it, how it all transpired. And then this legal expert stands up and wants to throw like a wet blanket upon this passion of God's people telling the story of Jesus. The legal expert says, uh, you know, love God, love others. It's a great answer. Jesus says, yep, you got that right. And then he responds, who's my neighbor? When Shelly and I were in Colorado, the first home that we had bought was just a small little home. And uh, we did a ton of work on it to get it up to the standards we wanted to. And it was, you know, it was our place, our first place. And uh, the, the nature of neighborhoods are, as you have neighbors. And uh, our neighbors who lived immediately next to us, uh, they were an, an older couple and um, uh, we got along with them just fine early on. And it was just a, a wonderful experience, right? A you know, new young couple. We've been married just a couple of years at that point. And then we have an older couple and, and just that idea of, you know, how do we act? How do we respond to our neighbors? What does it mean to be neighborly to them? And uh, perhaps you've had this experience uh, before. Um, when I was a kid, I enjoyed sleeping in. Uh, you know, 2 p.m. as a teenage boy, and that might be normal, I'm not real sure, but 2 p.m. as a teenage boy, that's what I did. Now that I'm grown up as an adult, man, I will sleep till 1 p.m. if I can. I'm sorry, that's just what it is. I don't like waking up. Man, give me the nights and give me the afternoons, but mornings, I'm just not a big morning person. Uh, so that sets up the problem that we had with our neighbors. Uh, we found out pretty quickly the first spring that we were there, uh, this way back in 1993, the first spring that we were there, uh, we found out that our neighbors had a habit. And this habit that our neighbor had, the husband in fact, was he liked model airplanes. And so Saturday mornings, way too early from, for me, and our, our, um, our bedroom was right next to his garage, way too early for me and certainly way too early for Shelly, what would he do? He would start up those model airplane engines and tune those things at like six in the morning. I'm like, no, this is my day to sleep in. Don't wake me up. <sighs> is this who Jesus has called me to love? My neighbor? In Illinois, on the other hand, we had neighbors that turned out to be perhaps our favorite of all time. They lived across the street from us. They had two younger daughters, and uh, we got along uh, incredibly well with them, did a lot of things with them. And uh, they ended up um, coming to the church that we were pastoring. Eventually, uh, after we left, they stayed there and are now an incredible part, part of the worship team, helping out with the kids' ministry and youth. And it's so wonderful to see that. And so I asked the question, is this the neighbor that we're supposed to love? Uh, when I was uh, quite a bit younger, 18 or so, uh, I spent some time in Arizona taking my first steps in ministry. In the Master's Commission program, we did a bus ministry in inner city uh, Phoenix. Now, remember, for those who know, I grew up here in, uh, in Sandy, a suburb of Salt Lake City, now transplanted into the inner city of Phoenix, Arizona on the weekends. Um, me, I equal tall white kid. That's what it was. I was tall, skinny. I think I weighed about 175, 180 pounds, six foot five. Yeah, it was a bit odd looking. 99% uh, of the kids that were part of the ministry 
were black. Tall white kid, tons of young black kids. Uh, man, I felt like I didn't belong. And it was a struggle. I got to tell you, it was a huge, huge struggle for me. I was so out of place and they let me know about it. It was super fun at times, super challenging at times. We got to know the families. We got to pray with the families. We got to, uh, to, to spend time with them. We got to corral the kids and then leave them each weekend. Is this the neighbor that we're supposed to love? You each have coworkers. Perhaps you haven't seen them for a little while. You've been maybe on Zoom meetings or something like that. Uh, but your coworkers, is this the neighbor that you're supposed to love? Your family members, are they the neighbors? At Farmer's Market each uh, Tuesday uh, here at Life Church West Valley, uh, at our West Valley campus, are these the neighbors we're supposed to love? The stranger on the corner when you're leaving Smith's or Walmart or a gas station has a sign up. Man, is that the neighbor that we're supposed to love? Luke chapter 10 uh, follows up, or Jesus follows up uh, this question that the uh, legal expert asks. And this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 30. Jesus replied, a man went down from Je uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. Remember what happened earlier in 2 Chronicles? A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. By the way, this road that Jesus is talking about was a winding road that led from the hills of Jerusalem down to uh, really kind of the, one of the deepest parts, uh, deepest parts on land on the earth. It was actually known as the Way of Blood because of the blood that was spilt by thieves and robbers on that trail. So we know it was very, very dangerous. So the story that Jesus is telling uh, very well um, is, a, is very much a true story. So it says, now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, so there's this, this injured man laying on the side of the road as if he's dead. This, um, uh, this priest, it says that he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot and saw the injured man. He crossed over the other side of the road and went on his way. Then Jesus says, a Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wound, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper he said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. Now, Jesus, in this moment, people are, are just like on every word that Jesus is speaking. And he turns as he says, what do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man that encountered the thieves? And the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And in fact, we see some of this even all the way back in 2 Chronicles. Remember, they, they were uh, the Samaritans, those in the northern kingdom, were attacking the southern kingdom. There was hatred there. So the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. The Jews were hated by the Samaritans. And the story that unfolds in pretty dramatic fashion, a Jewish man is attacked on the road, left for, the, for dead. The religious leaders see the man 
purposefully cross to the other side of the road and they go on their way. They choose blindness rather than action. On the one upon whom injustice has been, uh, has been given, they choose blindness rather than action. Um, I have to admit I've done this before. Uh, maybe you have as well. Don't, you know, don't, don't judge me here. Um, have you ever picked up the phone uh, in that moment? You see somebody coming towards you and you, you kind of pick up the phone. It might be on the, um, uh, on the street in downtown area, something like that. You see somebody coming towards you and you know they're going to ask you something. So you pick up your phone as if you're talking. That's the same thing as walking on the other side of the street. I've, I've done that. Now, perhaps uh, these religious leaders, they were worried about being tainted by the dead. There was uh, ceremonial uh, uncleanness that they were worried about, perhaps. Um, it, that cleanliness was important to their jobs. There was a cultural expectations that, you know, the, the Levite and the priest were to respond a certain way. So the man lies in the ditch, left for, the, left for dead now by robbers and left for dead by the spiritual. Man, that breaks my heart. Then a Samaritan enters the scene. The listeners to the story would have been scandalized by his inclusion, by Jesus' inclusion of an enemy in the story. Going through their minds would be the justification for Samaritans to be forgotten, ridiculed themselves. And uh, in their minds, they're thinking, oh, Jesus is setting this up. Go get him, Jesus. Tell how bad the Samaritans are. The Samaritan stops. The Samaritan sees. The Samaritan is moved by compassion. The Samaritan digs into his own pockets and provides sacrificially two days' wages at least for the care of this man. The Samaritan is himself inconvenienced. Remember it says that he was on, on a journey. He was going somewhere and stops and then returns where he was going, gives, you know, puts this guy up in an inn, and he is inconvenienced. And then he provides for more than just the moments. To have the Samaritan be the example was absolutely scandalous. And my guess is you could hear a pin drop in that moment when Jesus gets to that point. So parables are supposed to do this, and this is exactly what it is. This is a parable. It's a story told to, to, um, to, to show a spiritual reality uh, in such a way as to allow there to be lots of questions, lots of ways to look at the story and go, how does this apply to me? Um, and over the next couple of months, we're actually going to be digging into uh, to a bunch of, uh, of Jesus' parables. We're going to be talking about them because I believe that in telling parables, just like it says in, in the book of Mark, I think it's chapter 4, uh, that Jesus told parables for, for a purpose, for those who are believers, that it's to, to challenge us to dig deeper in our belief and to understand that God is at work through these stories and it helps us understand who God is. But for those who don't know God, for those who aren't following after Jesus, parables also prove to be a challenge because parables often reveal that God is not acting the way that we often think he should. And this is a perfect example of that. Why in the world would Jesus choose a Samaritan, someone reviled by the Jewish people? Sometimes uh, the parables are a commentary on prevailing culture. At other times, like this parable, it's getting to the heart of individuals and asking the hard questions. So what is the answer to the question that the legal expert asked? 
It would be easy to answer. Of course, it's a Samaritan. There's no other person it could be because of, I mean, just the, the, the nature of what the priest did and the Levite did was shameful. There was no way that the legal expert could give any other answer. He was backed into a corner. But it's interesting to note that the way that Jesus actually comes to this moment is he turns the question a bit. Remember, the legal expert asked, who is my neighbor? Notice what Jesus actually says as a question back to the legal expert. He says, which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? This picture is the picture of a Samaritan of what it is to actually be a neighbor in action. Not to be the one that you give love to, but to be that neighbor. Jesus brings a point out that the legal expert is to be that kind of neighbor that was pictured as actually loving, actually compassionate, actually caring, actually intentional in loving the other person with no thought to himself, but giving all that he can. By Jesus asking the final question, the legal legal expert was forced to acknowledge a couple of things. Number one, the Samaritan was a picture of what was right. And in fact, it's interesting because the, the legal expert couldn't even say, when, when Jesus asked, you know, who was the neighbor, we probably would have responded the Samaritan. But what does a legal expert do? He can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan because he was so ashamed of, of kind of that anger that is there. No way that he was going to say the word Samaritan to give value to him. And so what does he say? He says, it's the one who demonstrated mercy. Man, it's the right answer. But the heart is so slow to embrace the truth. And man, I think we as followers of Christ can give the right answer so many times. But man, how slow are we to actually embrace the truth? To recognize that God is calling us to be the neighbor. Not just to show love, but to be the neighbor that shows love that shows the way that Jesus would love. And then secondly, Jesus was lifting the lid on the limit of what it meant to love your neighbor. He's lifting the lid. It's not just your family. It's not just your community. It's not just those who live next door to you. It's not just the people that you like. To love your neighbor is to love humanity. And this is the point. It's not just to love the people that are in the system, not just to love the people that are in the church, but God has called us to have deep compassion and love and hope in a hopeless world for those who are a neighbor, which is, take a look around. Who's right next to you? That's the neighbor that you are to love. Next time you're out filling up at the gas station, that is the neighbor you are supposed to love. How do we live our lives differently with that knowledge? There's no in and out group. It's all the in group that we're supposed to love. Because didn't Jesus love us first? While we were on the outside, didn't Jesus include us in the cross? So Jesus is calling us to turn upside down the expectation of love and to not withhold it from the wounded, from the broken from the forsaken, from those to whom injustice has been committed. God has called us to love. And this kind of love and compassion is needed now more than ever. 
And the story is echoed for centuries, right? From Second Chronicles, the way that the Samaritans led the way in providing care when it wasn't, inspe- it wasn't expected. The same sort of way those who are the outcasts, man, they were forgotten and forsaken by the Jews. How many are forgotten and forsaken by us? Who actually can show us what it means to love better than we can. So folks, there's a huge challenge for us as a church. How are we going to be involved in our community? How is God calling you? How is God calling us as believers? How is God calling us in our life groups? How is is God calling us to love our neighbors differently? Question, to, to whom will you show neighborly love this week? Hopefully it's not just your family. Sometimes that's hard to do. We know that. What does that look like? What does it mean for you to love your neighbor? How can we be a part of the solution, man, to the breaking that's going on in our world today? How can we show the love of Jesus Christ to all? This radical, loving God found in Jesus Christ is available to us, to love us, to transform us, and to show us how to love our neighbors. And I think right now it would be, be appropriate for us as a, as a body together to pray and say, God, give us wisdom to know how we should respond to the needs around us that are, that are so evident and we see it. And we might disagree vehemently with the way things have transpired. But folks, there is injustice. Sometimes it's systemic. It needs to be dealt with. And we have to, as followers of Christ, we have to be involved in our community. We must and I believe Life Church is positioned, and we already are, and we're looking to do more, find more ways for us to be involved. But we can do this as well in our homes. We can do this as well in our, in our workplaces with our eyes wide open, seeking ways to help those who are wounded and broken, and forgiving love to our neighbors. And so, Father, we do commit as a church to not have our eyes shut. But God, that we would uh, take this parable that Jesus told that was so controversial at the time, that was so um, so transformative for those who were listening to it at that time. God, the, the Jews were, were hating on the, uh, the Samaritans, and yet the Samaritan was the one who showed the way to neighborly love, to that intentional love of others. And God, that's what we are about. And so, Lord, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us influence in our city, God, that we can be an answer. God, we can be a solution through the gospel of Jesus Christ for the transformation of our culture and our community. God, I believe that you have called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And and Lord, we know that this compassionate love and care and concern is absolutely central to who we are and it's central to who you are. And so God, we commit as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we commit this to you. And God, I ask that you would guide us. Father, we choose to serve you. We choose, oh God, to love you. We choose, oh God, again, to have our eyes wide open to the world around us. Help us not be like the priest and the Levite. Help us to not just be spiritual people who walk on the other side, but God, help us to walk with those uh, to whom injustice has been, uh, been thrust upon that, God, we can be able to reach out and provide hope through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you glory and honor and praise. And, Lord, we thank you for your strength that you provide to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Hey, Life Church, thank you so much for being with, uh, with me today. And uh, thank you, uh, Stephen and the worship team and everybody that makes every one of these weekends happen for us online. Uh, we are excited. We will be getting back together soon. So uh, just have patience. We're working uh, very diligently on that, looking for wisdom from, uh, from state officials, other churches. We're talking together about what this looks like. And so thank you for your prayers for us as a staff. Thank you for your prayers uh, for, uh, for Life Church. Thank you for praying for our community and, and uh, all of the Salt Lake Valley. Valley, Tooele Valley, because God's called us uh, to reach the valleys uh, for, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more thing real quick. I uh, just want to remind you uh, that, um, about our food pantry. Uh, we're certainly, with the number of families that we are helping, would love to have you help us uh, by bringing non-perishable food items uh, here to the church during normal office hours, Monday through Friday, uh, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, just uh, We're looking for ways to be more of a blessing to our community and these who right now are really struggling and the needs are getting larger. And uh, we are expanding our ministry on Tuesdays uh, with our farmer's market uh, uh, nearly 500 people represented through 91 or 92 families that we serve weekly right now. And uh, it's thanks to your generosity. And now, thanks to you providing uh, help with our food uh, food pantry that's going to replenish some of the supplies uh, that we desperately need at this time. So anytime during the week, stop by with uh, non-perishable food items. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. And uh, we will see you next week. <music>